One topic uh, to me that seems to there be a lot of talk about it for quite some time now is oath of office. What does that mean? You're constantly hearing people say, well, you need to honor your oath of office, or you violated your oath of office. So it really got me really curious about that particular topic. I did some research on it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about oath of office, the background of it, and uh, how it relates to a lot of things that we are hearing about now. So according to Article 6, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, it states... The senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures and all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the several states. And the reason, by the way, it says several states is when the Constitution was adopted, there were just several states. There were not 50 states. Shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. And the reason that a religious test is not applicable is because we believe in freedom of religion in this country. And um, people that are running for office, they're not judged on their personal religious beliefs, at least they're not supposed to be. The Oaths Clause plays an important role by obliging public servants to observe the limits of their authority and act in accordance with the powers delegated to them by the Constitution. The oath also serves as a solemn reminder that the duty to uphold the Constitution is not the exclusive or final responsibility of the judiciary, but is shared by Congress and the President, per Article 2, Section 1, as co-equal branches of the United States government. Now, that seems to be one thing that is, uh, the lines seem to be getting blurred a lot these days, is the co-equal branches of government. You know, anyway, I'll go into that a little bit more in this. Although the practical application of the Constitution is largely in the hands of state judges, the primacy of the Constitution ultimately depends on officers of the law, in particular officers of each branch of government, being equally bound to its support. In this sense, the Oaths Clause is the completion of the Supremacy Clause. The Supremacy Clause refers to Article 6, Section 2, of the U.S. Constitution, which states, This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. And the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. When the subject of an oath arose during the Federal Constitutional Convention, the founders were divided, as they were divided on a lot of things when it had to do with the Constitution, including the Bill of Rights. Should an oath be required in a free country at all? And should state officials swear allegiance to the Federal Constitution, or should federal officials swear to uphold state constitutions as well as the U.S. Constitution? Very, very good question here. Delegate James Wilson of Pennsylvania viewed oaths as the left-handed security only and that a good government did not need them 
and a bad one could not or ought not be supported. <laughs> right. The lexi lexicographer and a political writer, Noah Webster, called oaths instruments of slavery and a badge of folly, followed by the dark ages of bigotry. Both Wilson and Webster argued that people would be naturally inclined to support just governments, so oaths were unnecessary. Well, we are finding now that people will also support unjust governments because that seems to be happening a lot these days. Many others thought such concerns were overwrought. In his 1833 Commentaries on the Constitution, Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story wrote that requiring oaths for government officials would seem to be a proposition too clear to render any reasoning necessary in support of it. Federalism also factored into early debates on the nature of oaths of office. Anti-Federalists were concerned about state officials having to swear to uphold the federal constitution, while federal officials were not required to respect state constitutions. In Federalist 44, James Madison of Virginia argued that federal officials lacked the power to uphold state constitutions, but that state officials played an important role upholding the U.S. Constitution. That's an extremely good point. Remember that one. In particular, Madison said the administration of elections to federal offices, namely the president and Senate, depended on state legislatures. So let's read and break down the current oath used by federal and state offices since 1966. I, state your name, do solemnly swear or affirm, and I'll explain that in a minute, that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me God. What does the part of the oath that says solemnly swear or affirm mean? In law, an affirmation is a solemn declaration allowed to those who conscientiously object to taking an oath. An affirmation has exactly the same legal effect as an oath, but is usually taken to avoid the religious implications of an oath. It is thus legally binding, but not considered a religious oath. As for the part that involves supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic, how exactly is that supposed to be enforced? And if the government employees responsible for doing the enforcing are the ones doing the violating, how is anybody ever going to be held accountable? The fourth federal law, 18 U.S.C. 1918, provides penalties for violation of oath of office described in 5 U.S.C. 7311, which include, an individual may not accept or hold a position in the government of the United States or the government of the District of Columbia if he, number one, advocates the overthrow of our constitutional form of government. Number two, is a member of an organization that he knows advocates the overthrow of of our 
constitutional form of government. You notice how I'm emphasizing on constitutional? Number three, participates in a strike or asserts the right to strike against the government of the United States or the government of the District of Columbia or, number four, is a member of an organization of employees of the government of the United States or of individuals employed by the government of the District of Columbia that he knows asserts the right to strike against the government of the United States or the government of the District of Columbia, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year and a day or both. There's a lot there. Number one, uh, yeah, it's there actually is a law against trying to overthrow the constitutional form of government. What if the government becomes unconstitutional? But I ask, what about all the other violations of the Constitution that have already been committed against the Constitution and Bill of Rights that include things such as the Federal Reserve control of money, hate speech laws attached to a defense bill. Isn't hate speech also considered free speech? Federal government-mandated health insurance. Federal judges legislating from the bench. Remember how I mentioned the co-equal branches of government? The legislative branch is not in charge of making laws. Executive branch czars not approved by the Senate or accountable to Congress. Federal environmental laws imposed on individual states. There you have the federal government imposing things on the state government, which is strictly unconstitutional. Taxpayer bailouts of multinational corporations and banks. Oh, that one really got to me. Remember that? Remember when they bailed out banks that were too big to fail, or car companies that were too big to fail, the federal government took your taxpayer money and gave it to a private business. Federal government running roughshod over states' rights, which I just mentioned. Here's my favorite one. Infringement of the Second Amendment. Thou shalt not be infringed? Oh, it's been infringed over and over again. Infringement of the First Amendment. Oh, remember the recent pandemic emergency in which they forced close, uh, churches to close? They silenced free speech? They leaned on the social media companies to shut them up and shut up the people that were on them. Allowing illegal aliens to vote in elections. And let's not forget the federal government failing to perform their most important duty of defending our border from foreign invaders. The list goes on. I could literally sit here all day long and list these things off. It's sad. The Constitution has been violated so much that I have to ask the question, has the Constitution already been, quote, terminated by the federal government years ago? The other day, former, and many might argue, rightfully the current president of the United States, Donald Trump, made the following statement on social media. I'm going to read it word for word. 
So, with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? Trump continued, A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles. You might say that the Constitution actually does have a provision for that against a tyrannical government. Even those found in the Constitution, our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. Trump asked a lot of good questions here, and he did not suggest terminating the Constitution. I was listening to CNN while I was out of town working the past couple days just to see what the other side is talking about. And they falsely quoted Trump and said that he had said that he thought the Constitution should be terminated. Now, I just read you word for word what he said. Did he say to terminate the Constitution? No. Although it seems Democrat politicians, in my opinion, are too stupid to see this, and cowardly Republican politicians are piling on with the corrupt Democrats in an outrage that Trump has called for the termination of the Constitution. There is plenty of evidence of massive voter fraud, which more than proves Trump was the actual winner from the evidence provided by simply 2,000 mules alone, not to mention the mountain of other evidence that's out there. Thanks to the verified information obtained from Hunter Biden's laptop, which happens to not be Russian propaganda, there's also proof that Joe Biden and his son Hunter have been receiving millions from our enemies in shady deals, which more than show, at the least, an appearance of Joe Biden being compromised by the enemy. Why are we not bringing in a special counsel for that? Why are we not impeaching him? Lastly, thanks to information released by Elon Musk, we see massive collusion between the FBI, the DOJ, big tech, the DNC, and mainstream media to manipulate the narrative and cover up the information obtained from the Hunter Biden laptop to alter public opinion of Joe Biden leading up to the 2020 election. A poll showed that more than enough people would not have voted for Joe Biden if they would have known about his connections to the CCP. That, by the way, that's the Chinese Communist Party. I call them the Chicoms. When Trump mentions the termination of rules and regulations, I want to ask, weren't rules, regulations, and articles pertaining to the 2020 election violated over and over in numerous states during the election using the scamdemic as an excuse to violate election law? Isn't Trump right when he states that our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections? The problem is that nowhere in the Constitution does it mention what to do 
in the case that an election is found to be fraudulent. I don't think even the Founding Fathers imagined that our government could become so evil and corrupt. What do we do now? I honestly don't know. You know, I, I, like, to, I like to end these monologues with some suggestions of what I think could fix the problem. I can tell you, I can tell you other countries have fixed this problem. They've overthrown their governments. I heard of one just the other day. They arrested the uh, the president, hauled him out, because he was uh, in some way a traitor. The military did that. Revolutions occur over these things. You know, we've tried speaking out. Those of us that see what's going on, those of us patriots, the whole January 6th thing, it was all about that. They named these people insurrectionists. Now, which is ridiculous. CNN to this day, and even other supposedly conservative news outlets, are calling it an insurrection. When nobody had firearms, nobody had weapons, and don't you think with millions of people showing up at the Capitol, that if that would have been an actual insurrection, um we'd still have control of the Capitol. There was just a handful of people there. No, these people just showed up with flags and and maybe some bullhorns, and they were speaking out. They just wanted to be heard. They wanted to be seen. This is a peaceful way that you protest. Unlike in some countries where that would have happened, and they would have literally gone in, they would have hauled out all of the politicians, threw them out, would have hauled out the president, thrown him out, and they would have, and they would have taken over and 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 started a new government. We don't want violence in this country. None of us do. So how do we deal with this? I don't know. So I'm going to close with a couple of quotes I found from Thomas Jefferson. When once a republic is corrupted, there is no possibility of remedying any of the growing evils, but by removing the corruption and restoring its lost principles. Every other correction is either useless or a new evil. The other quote he gave was, who will govern the governors? Remember how I mentioned that? There is only one force in the nation that can be depended upon to keep the government pure and the governors honest, and that is the people themselves. They alone, if well-informed, are capable of preventing the corruption of power and of restoring the nation to its rightful course if it should go astray. They alone are the safest depository of the ultimate powers of government. Well, our government's definitely gone astray. The you know, as hard as we work to try to straighten out these elections, they don't want to do the one the one thing that would straighten out these elections. Same day voting, in person, voter ID, paper ballots. Problem solved. 